welcome to the Week Ahead in Russia, RFURL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and for those of you who may have just joined us now, my guest is Kadri Leek, a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Welcome, Kadri. Hello, my pleasure. All right. Uh, great to have you on the podcast again. Thanks for joining uh, us. Now, the first question I'd like to ask, um, and I'm going to give this quite a bit of a long introduction, so please bear with me, but um, is about the state of Russia's war against Ukraine as it stands now, as winter approaches, uh, and what the role of the West is, or perhaps kind of should be at this juncture. Um, since Russia's large-scale invasion of Ukraine in February, there have been several phases in the war, at least I see it that way. Some of the phases certainly overlapping, and all of them marked by heavy bombardments uh, that have very often caused civilian casualties, um, by evidence of atrocities by Russian soldiers on the ground, and by major setbacks for the Russian military and for President Vladimir Putin's goal of subjugating Ukraine. Uh, there was um, Russia's initial push toward Kiev, in the first weeks um, after the invasion, and then its retreat from that area from the north of Ukraine. Um, there was the siege and destruction of Mariupol, the large Azov Sea port city that Russian and separatist forces had been unable to seize over the eight years of war in the Donbass since 2014, um, but did seize and pretty much raised to the ground um, this spring. And there were the Ukrainian counteroffensives, mainly in the Kharkiv and Kherson regions in the east and south, in recent months, including the Russian retreat and Ukrainian recapture of the city of Kherson, uh, the only regional capital that Russian forces had seized since the invasion on February 24th. And the current phase, um, I mean, there's fighting going on, certainly in the east and south, as there has been throughout. Uh, but I'd say that for the outside world, at least, uh, the current phase is marked primarily maybe by the repeated Russian attacks on infrastructure, particularly energy and power infrastructure that are serving civilians. Uh, and, and these attacks have plunged cities into darkness and cold uh, and sent Ukraine uh, scrambling to restore power. Uh, repeatedly uh, in recent weeks. Now, the attacks seem aimed to break the will of Ukraine and Ukrainians, and some Russian officials have essentially said this, uh, but so far they appear to be having uh, the opposite effect, uh, once again sharpening Ukraine's resolve. Uh, at the same time, after the successful Ukrainian counteroffensives, uh, there are a few signs, I would say, that either side is likely to take large amounts of territory in the very near future, and as winter approaches, and it is very close, um, by the calendar it starts in about three weeks, but by tradition it starts in three days, uh, the war seems likely to continue well into next year. At least that's how, how I see it. Uh, so this leaves me wondering uh, about the West's role, the role of the United States and the European Union, NATO countries. They've been imposing sanctions and providing weapons to Ukraine. Uh, and so far, I think there are a few major signs, at least, that this support is about to flag. But let me ask you, Kadri, um, do you see a big danger of that this winter, of Western support for Ukraine decreasing? Uh, and is there something the West could perhaps 
do or, or should start doing differently at this point to try to um, bring the end of the war closer and, and I guess, uh, victory for Ukraine closer? Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, and it's good you are asking about Western resolve. I'm just finishing a study about uh, European opinions about the war, Russia, and where it all is going. And to be honest, I don't see weakening of resolve um, at all. I mean, times are hard uh, for Europeans as well as Ukraine. Uh, countries are doing whatever they can, can to make themselves resilient because I mean, Putin is targeting Europe as well as Ukraine. Energy shortages over the coming winter are meant to make Europe rethink its help to Ukraine. But I do not think that is happening. Europe has been remarkably effective trying to shore up gas supplies for the coming winter. And I, I think now one almost dares to say that Europe will be fine this winter. Uh, and it might be more expensive, but it will be there. And I would even dare to say that next year's supplies will be harder because gas gas storages cannot be filled with gas from Russia any anymore, probably. But even so, I I somehow assume that Europe will find a way to come to terms with it. There is quite a lot of nervous but creative energy in the EU these days, lots of problem solving. Uh, and I think Europe is also expanding its aid to uh, Ukraine uh, and sort of um, sending what is needed. I mean, we, we could see how many countries sent air defense systems when Russia ramped up its air campaign against civilian infrastructure. Right now, as far as I know, many countries are trying to help Ukraine fix the infrastructure, uh, power stations, etc., or create connections that would allow Ukraine to get electricity from Europe. All these things are being worked on. So, frankly, I don't think um, that resolve will get weaker. It could be that not enough will be available in terms of military hardware because production systems uh, take a short while to get going. That's, that's not something you can do overnight. So obstacles like these um, might be there, but in terms of willpower, no, I, I don't think so. Okay, thanks. That, that's very helpful. And I guess I would ask sort of a follow-up question. It does seem like the Russian strategies for uh, diminishing, for, for, for undermining both Ukrainian resolve and resolve in the West to, to help Ukraine seem to backfire all the time, um, and, you know, like other, other um, like some of their strategies, I guess, on the battlefield. But I mean, I wonder if the, the, this effort, apparently effort by Russia to to um, uh, to break Ukrainians' resolve by hitting at their infrastructure, you know, literally making them cold and 
and winter uh, and bringing darkness. Um, it seems like, you know, in terms of the Western response, it's hard to look at that and think, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't help as much. On the contrary, I would think that many people in the West would respond by saying, well, you know, we may have it bad or, or worse than we have in, in past winters, but, you know, look at Ukraine, you know, they're really, uh, they're really bearing the brunt of this, so we can help. I mean, do you think that's sort of a factor in, in, the, in the, you know, what you say is uh, apparent um, continuation or, or non-decrease uh, non of, of Western uh, help or um, desire to, to aid Ukraine? Well, I think desire to aid is first and foremost motivated by, by the nature of that war. I mean, massive and completely unprovoked war. Um, that is just a glaring injustice and, and, and that calls for help. And of course, Russia has mismanaged the leverage it, 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 it could have had. Like with energy supplies, uh, I mean, to use energy as a weapon, that already means that you make your customers wary and cautious and they will start looking for alternative ways. So the whole idea of trying to imply to, say, Germany that, okay, if you change your behavior, you can get our gas again. I mean, the thing it's doing in, in Berlin is making clear to people that this is not a reliable supplier. They use gas to manipulate our policymaking and sort of self-evident outcome here is that the Germany will rethink its energy policy as it is doing. And I think that would be the case even if the two Nord Stream pipelines had not been blown up because the uh, psychological effect uh, told Germany everything they, they needed to know. And of course, it backfires also I mean, not just in terms of uh, West picking sides and trying to help Ukraine, but I think it's backfiring also financially. I mean, Russia, Russia had still decent energy revenues, also from gas, because even if it lost some of its um, export routes and customers, price of gas was so high that that actually compensated for quite a lot was for what was lost in terms of customers. Now, next year might not be the same anymore. Uh, and if gas prices are lower and Russia's customer base will have shrunk, as it will, uh, then it could actually result in, in, in financial uh, blow as well. And of course, none of this comes easy to the West either. I mean, these days you are seeing the uh, discussions about price cap, uh, subsidies, inflation. It is a mess looked at the Western side as well. But I think it would be wrong to interpret the fact that it's a mess as a sign that the West will give up and Russia can have its way. I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, thanks very much for that. It does seem kind of like going back to any, any not 
not even business as usual, but the sort of any the situation as as it was before seems uh, seems kind of impossible at this point. Um, and and thanks for pointing out that you know beyond the uh, beyond the use of energy as a weapon, um, you know, there's just the kind of basic injustice uh, of the unprovoked uh, invasion. Um, so there, there's that as well, and and the um, and the, the way uh, Russian forces have conducted themselves uh, as factors in, in in the Western response. All right. Well, thanks very much. Um, this, the second question I'd like to ask uh, goes back um, to the incident on November fifteenth, in which a missile. Uh, at first, it was said to be two missiles. But I'm not sure, uh, but uh, a missile hit inside Poland, close to the Ukrainian border killing two people. Uh, there was a lot of concern um, that this could lead to a very serious escalation as Poland is a NATO member, of course, um, particularly when reports said that it was a Russian missile. Now, the main one of those reports turned out to be kind of uh, based on a, on a source uh, and, and, and presumably inaccurate. Uh, it was badly sourced. Um, but in, in any case, uh, those fears certainly were, were raised. Um, now, Poland and the head of NATO uh, later said it appears to have been a Ukrainian air defense missile uh, that fell in Poland. Uh, the United States said it saw no evidence to contradict that. And I should mention that Western officials are stressing that the blame lies with Russian, Russia, I'm sorry, in any case, because nothing of the kind would have happened if Russia had not attacked Ukraine. Uh, in fact, this incident occurred on the day of uh, a massive Russian bombardment, one of one of the most one of the biggest um, kind of across the country uh, since the invasion. But my question uh, is whether kind of going forward, whether this incident is likely to have any substantial effect on the war and or on attitudes in Europe toward the war. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on on this, Kadri. Uh, thanks. I don't think, frankly, that this incident will will have a major effect on on anything, um, because it was obvious that it was an accident. Um, had it been a Russian missile, it would also have been an accident. And and these things happen. If there is a war, then some missiles will go astray. That's not even the first one. Uh, Moldova was hit a uh, couple of weeks or is it a couple of months now ago as as well. And, you know, this is not to dismiss it because in Poland two people died. That's already very bad. But, you know, this doesn't make it a Russian-NATO war and should not make it. So I, I think... This is not something, I mean, this will not be the major episode we will be rem remembering about that war when one day it is, it is over. We, we will quite likely forget it. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I wonder even why, why Ukrainians were so, um, so adamant that it wasn't a Ukrainian missile. Maybe it was really bad take, uh, then I understand. But if they thought that admitting that it was Ukrainian missile will somehow make European support to Ukraine any weaker, I don't think that's not the case at all. 
um, I think very sufficient understanding of of whose whose fault uh, race things uh, are. But right, gen- yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Ask. Yeah, no. There was there was certainly no kind of indication from the start. I think that 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 anyone was really blaming Ukraine, maybe on some levels. But but yeah, I see what you're saying, and, and I'm wondering whether also whether this incident would might help uh, NATO kind of be, be be prepared for things like this in the in the future and kind of um, have a have a a, a, a good kind of base of experience to to react to things that happen and that that may or may not um, pose like a, a serious security challenge um, I don't know if you can be prepared for for such things mm. you can you can defend uh, places that you think might be targeted and I I think for instance, airfields in Poland are, are are pretty solidly defended now by NATO air defense because uh, one cannot exclude that Russia at one day, one day might decide that it needs to attack supply routes to Ukraine. But just a random countryside point uh, hit by accidental air defense missile uh, I'm not sure how much one can do about it. So I'm afraid that that is the collateral damage you cannot really, really prevent. Yeah, absolutely. And I interrupted you. I think you were you were going to say something else. When I, when I yeah, no, just a wider question about what what do Europeans think where this war is is going? Um, we. In our in my recent research uh, into European thinking, we have asked about that, and um, people seem to think that it'll take a long time. It's it's a long fall for Europe, and and they are not sure about the outcome. Um, so it's not like Ukraine will win and will support it. Uh, as 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 long I mean until it happens, um, support is there, but outcome for Europeans is is still very much on on uncertain, and you can see on the battlefield as well that you know Ukraine makes some advances, some amazing victories, like Kharkiv, like Kherson, but risk come at a price, and and. And they are not so easy to to repeat. Um, so the outcome, I think, remains unknown for the time being, and that makes it, I think, in my view, even more admirable that that Europeans seem to be gearing up psychologically to accept uh, come come what may. That's a very interesting point. I mean, I've also found or I've found that for, for myself, you know, my kind of hopes or expectations of, of an outcome, um, I would say differ from, you know, some people who are seem very sure um, of what the outcome will be. 
um, not necessarily when it might come, but what it will be. Um, so I think that's a great point about uh, you know the the idea that while Europeans in many cases you know don't know what the outcome will be, um, at least for now uh, and for the foreseeable future, they they are you know the support as you say the support is there. Okay, um, I'd like to. Um, to take a few questions, uh, if there are any questions from, from listeners, um, give it a few moments. Hi, yeah, I had a question about, um, I guess, Ukraine, uh, its relationship with NATO and uh, how, um, assuming Ukraine is able to liberate most or all of its territory, how will it um, guarantee its security in between uh, that stage and a potentially a NATO um, accession? Uh, that's a good question to which I don't have an answer. I mean, uh, future security arrangements for Ukraine is um, something that everyone knows needs to be discussed at one point. Um, but it will also be so dependent in some ways on the outcome of the war um, that it's hard to discuss these matters while the war is, is still going on. And, and frankly, maybe that should not even be the priority right now. I mean, the discussions we had in the early days of the war about um, certain countries giving security guarantees to Ukraine and there has been some work uh, done about it. Uh, a paper was prepared over the summer. Uh, but to be honest, I, I don't think that is realistic at all. I mean, that would basically mean, at least the way it was talked early on, it would have been a few countries, X number of countries, obliging to guarantee Ukraine security. Um, that would mean they would be ready to go to war against Russia to defend Ukraine. I don't think that is realistic. And frankly, I was surprised to see that some fairly serious countries volunteered for the role, like, like Germany. I'm not sure what Chancellor Scholz was, was thinking. Maybe he was, Maybe he was hoping that such a gesture would hope to allow to stop the war and and then we will see uh, what what can be done i don't know but i i think long term that is in any case unrealistic so um, what the exact arrangements for ukraine will be i i don't know and and where even it will be discussed i think nato membership will certainly be discussed with a renewed force um, and and Ukraine has a lot stronger case now than it than it had earlier, but it is surely not a done deal uh, either. Very very far from from that. So I think we can discuss it when we when we get there, and it's it is still some way off. All right. Thanks very much, Kadri. Um, and more questions we can take. Uh... One more, at least. Okay. Uh, if not, uh, last chance. But if, if no more questions, uh, we can 
start to wrap it up. Um, so, Kadri, um, once again, very great insights, and thanks, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. All right, once again, I've been speaking to Kadri Leek, a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the central newsroom at RFERL. As I mentioned, this conversation will also be published as a podcast, and you can subscribe uh, to The Week Ahead in Russia and other RFERL podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back next Monday for another edition of The Week Ahead in Russia. And please keep an eye out for my newsletter, The Week in Russia, this Friday. Thanks for listening.